Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 50 and I'm your co-host Nigel. I'm Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And today we are welcoming Rena McKeith, who is the art director or an art director in mobile games, most recently at King. Uh, Rena, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. So uh, Rena and I have spoken before. So this is your first appearance on a podcast, but uh, second appearance to the MyMedic universe. Uh, <laughs> we spoke as part of our last GamePad online event, where we talked more about your work and your route into video games. So we'll put that in the show notes for people to check that out, particularly if you are interested in uh, mobile games in King and just video game industry uh, from an art director's perspective. Uh, so you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. As always, you can send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com or just throw them at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamadatees on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. As usual, we're going to get started with the latest happenings in the MyMatter universe. <laughs> Yeah, we're like at the end of the year now. So I feel that's even though it's been a weird, unprecedented uh, year, I still feel that end of year pressure to like start checking things off uh, a list. Um, so we've got a bunch of things happening in uh, in the My Matter universe. So as it's Christmas or coming up to Christmas, we're going to be working on some Christmas themed artwork for the GamePad Discord community. And pretty much I'm thinking because we've got Christmas going on, we've also had the release of next-gen consoles. Uh, we're going to mix up those two and create something that's a mashup of next-gen and my matter characters. Uh, but you can let us know which characters you want to see in our artwork. We're going to have a poll up in our Discord community, and it's going to be running till December the 12th. Um, just let us know which characters out of the ones we're going to throw out as a selection and we'll get that um, to you by Christmas. So the finished high-resolution artwork will go out to the Discord and to GamePad Online ticket holders. So make sure you are in one or both of those categories, and you'll get that delivered to your inbox. Speaking of January the 12th, we have a live stream coming up. So if you're hearing this, you have December a few... December the 12th, yeah. What did I say? You said January. <laughs> See, I'm already in, in next year. Like, I'm already there. Time, like, trying to time travel. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get out of here. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, December 12th, we've got our, our end of year podcast live stream uh, coming up. So we want to make sure people know about that. Uh, we're going to be inviting the Myomata team, uh, past guests, and some fans to just talk about the latest or our favorite stories in uh, in this year. So. Not necessarily news stories either, just like what has meant uh, the most to us uh, this year. So going ahead to January, um, just to remind people, we do have our next GamePad online event happening on January the 16th, uh, which if you haven't seen it before, GamePad Online is our online GamePad event where we have a mix of um, video game streaming, uh, messages from the community, and interviews from professionals in the games industry. So it's a variety streamed event hosted by Tazzy and it's free. So 
come check it out. Uh, you're welcome to take part. Again, that's happening on Twitch, on YouTube, and you can also jump in our Discord. Uh, so I think that's all the things, well, some of the things that are happening. Um, I'll give future updates on future episodes. Um, so yeah, we're going to find out what's happening with everyone's story of the week. So this is our spoiler-free discussion about what stories everyone has been reading, watching, or playing. So we are going to start with our guests. Rena, what have you been been consuming story-wise? Let us know. Well, uh, I tend to have a bunch of things on the go at once. So I have been attempting to play through The Last of Us 2. It's so difficult for me uh, to play that game in one sitting. I get so tense and stressed mm-hmm. playing it that I need to kind of take breaks. Um, uh, but And I also know that I think that there's something you might be discussing at a later <laughs> podcast. Yeah, so it is a late... What a segue. Is... Yeah. I know, beautiful. I am <laughs> um, also currently playing through Last of Us Part 2, uh, ready to record our podcast. Yep. So we are having a live stream debate about, well, discussion. It might not be a debate. Discussion about Last of Us uh, Part 2 on the 21st of December with Mr. Midas. I have played through the whole thing, so I'm going to recuse myself from this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I think the only only spoiler-free moment, and and I feel like such an art director saying this, but I love the loading screen. And I, I mean, anyone who's who's played The Last of Us or know about the story at all, and this is spoiler free, of course, but there's this beautiful loading screen, which is mostly dark. And there's this faintly glowing light at the top right hand of the screen. And it's just this gentle glow and fluttering around that light is a crowd of moths. And it's just such a perfect metaphor for the world and the characters and The Last of Us, fragility um, and this delicacy of this and how dark it is and how there's this sort of a bleakness to it um, where you can see that the central characters are what they're trying to get to, this sort of light that they may never achieve and and how dangerous it is. And it just makes me so happy looking at that lo- loading screen. so perfect. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's such a great game. And if I can manage to get myself through the combat sequences... <laughs> I'll tell you whether I like the story of it. <laughs> it's, so, it's just so good. It's, I'm barely in it. I'm like so in the beginning of Last of Us 2, but the sec- the first one was so good. And I can't wait to talk about it on the podcast. Sorry, I'm just getting really excited. <laughs> yeah. I, so an in-between, sort of as a, as a break from my soul and my nerves, um, I've been watching The Mandalorian Season 2, which is, is such a an incredible addition to the Star Wars universe. And, you know, I've always been a Star Wars fan. I've watched them since I was a child. And I I feel like The Mandalorian has managed to distill and capture the purest essence of what makes a Star Wars uh, movie or a film or TV show work. And it's this slit kind of focusing on one character's journey through this very... A conflicted and dangerous world just sort of brings that to the forefront that here's a story of just one man uh, living at the 
edges, the sort of frontier of the universe as these massive forces are going on in the background. And he's just trying to get by and I'm there for it. It is beautiful. It is so well told. The characters are so well constructed. The production design is classic Star Wars. We have everything that you want in a Star Wars film. It's just, I can't believe it's taken so long for someone to realize that what we really needed in Star Wars was a an episodic monster of the week story with a nice <laughs> arc about it. Like, it's just so perfect. I can talk about it all day. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I absolutely am also loving The Mandalorian. And I've I've chosen to omit my uh, story of the week because there's too many stories that <laughs> both of you are bringing up. Um, so I'm just going to add on to those. <laughs> But yeah, because like the Mandalorian, I think we was just we was talking about before we start recording. Just for me, like hands down, it's the best piece of Star Wars ever created, and just because it is this this place where you're not you're not following the big story, you're just kind of kind of following this, these lives, and you get these little snippets of people's like lives under this like passing over of who's in charge of of the this universe <laughs> and who's got the power and um yeah like we're just not really concerned with that <laughs> we're just concerned with the mandalorian and and helping the child and it's just beautiful yeah i mean it's this amazing combination of a western yeah you know, um hashed man sort of rise in in the village and there's something going on and will he be able to fix it or not and combining that with like a like a parent movie almost mm. this relationship building and then in the background you have this political upheaval that's sort of just affecting things and and you and I were saying it's almost like watching the NPCs in a in a in a game like their yeah. lives going along and of course the fetch quests ah oh. <laughs> reminds me of those games where they're saying like oh okay I need to go get some apples so please go to this house and get the apples but when you go there you realize that you have to get a bucket first and then you have to go you know so there's a lot of that um your princess is another castle but it's so well told and I feel like Disney even was surprised at the level of its success I don't think they really anticipated it I feel like this was just a project that was going along in the background and then they sort of had to rush to keep up with the fact that everyone is loving it mm. um so maybe that's also the key to its success is that no one maybe didn't get as much of this like laser focus that the big films have where they have to try and achieve so many things they have to be they have to have the fan service they have to push this big story forward they have to do all of this they have to satisfy so many things like there was less anticipation or expectation of it Exactly. It can just be itself and it, it doesn't have to do all these other things. And therefore, it can be so much more successful. And it also like uh, watches like a video game. It's like, because <laughs> you, you brought up like the, the quest, but it's like each episode is like your next quest. And then there's all these side quests that you just happen to do. And one of them might lead to a piece of armor or a weaponry that's going to help you along your journey. (laughs) (laughs) And you're just like leveling up and collecting your loot. (laughs) Ready for what I can only imagine is like a big boss battle at some point. Like, but it's just, it's just excellent. And like that, that like the Mandalorian, just every episode, I'm just like hit with the fills. 
between mm. the child and the Mandalorian because oh my god it's just the way that like their relationship grows and like oh they're just so precious <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's perfect just having these wonderful moments where and obviously spoiler free but but the Mandalorian is attempting to be a father and 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 help this child and it's so difficult <laughs> and it just feels so natural like obviously it's set in this completely different world and it's completely different universe all these different rules but here's here's a man still trying to protect his child is trying to teach the child how to be how to be better trying to impose discipline um sometimes asking the child to do something it's not quite ready for and and, and patience he shows mm-hmm. and you can see that bond growing over time um as he takes on this responsibility and deepens responsibility and connection and it, and so aside from all of the like star wars magic it is this journey of a relationship and parenthood um and a man kind of coming to coming to accept uh, this sort of surprise parenthood that he's been <laughs> through circumstances yeah with with someone with a with a child who like there's barriers of communication and not just because like children talk children and you know adults talk english or whatever language Mm. you talk it's this whole like there's a whole different communication barrier going on Mm. and it's like watching them work through that and like work through the unknown that they both kind of don't really know and it's just oh everything about it is precious and i don't know how they can make a program with so much like action and like combat and like coolness but with this complete adorable relationship happening all through it it's like the perfect balance (laughs) yeah and if there's own if there's one thing i would change i want all of it now and I want <laughs> more. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got to the Just end of... Feed me. <laughs> please hook it straight into Of course, because they do the, they enforce the weekly releases. Yeah. Right? yeah. And this, and this week, it this. was only 30 minutes long. I was like, it was also so short. It was like a punch in my stomach. It was so short. I said, it can't be over. You can't make me waste. Like that was so short. And it was, I think it's got real, they've got uh, really brave to deliver it the way they're delivering it with these weekly mm-hmm. installments. And then also to have the inconsistent lengths of the episodes. Yeah, putting me in this situation where I'm like, please, my, me and my husband watched it. We got to the end. Like, no, that can't be it. <laughs> it can't be over. I feel like they hit with some like hard emotional and like, quite like dramatic things happened I can't, it's so hard to talk about without spoiling it out but there was like <laughs> they introduced someone here and then like this happened here which was very traumatic and then that happened and it was like oh my god like I just felt like I was getting like hit emotionally like constantly I love hearing people talk about it as someone who has not yet seen any of it except for like some memes and I'm just like I need to I just need to be involved in this I need to open the door and join you all in this conversation yeah it's certainly a roller coaster and it's definitely boring I don't think there's a boring moment I I I, I'm the pet because the relationships are so good I think I could see them sitting on a rock in the middle of nowhere and still enjoy every second of it. Yeah, 100%. They would make it so good. They would make that rock so good. (laughs) 
I don't know if you've ever watched this YouTube series called Superhero Cafe. And it's like, it's Batman, Batman and, Superman. and Superman sitting down in a cafe and they're yeah, just yeah, talking yeah. about stuff that's happened to do with other, normally to do with other superheroes yeah, or yeah, yeah. pop culture. And then occasionally they have guests on. I can imagine the Mandalorian version of that and just having the Mandalorian <laughs> and the child sitting there and like talking about stuff. But it would just be a one-way conversation anyway because the child doesn't speak. This is the Mandalorian talking to the child and and then them occasionally having these guests and I would be so there for that. <laughs> I mean, just think of the pitch meeting. We are going to have a TV show about one character that doesn't speak and another character that doesn't show their face. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's going to work. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, before this becomes a Mandalorian episode, <laughs> Nigel, what about you? Yeah, I was like getting caught up in listening uh, to that. Uh, so I have, well, I've not been watching the Mandalorian, but uh, one day, uh, hopefully that will change. I have been watching a few things. Um, I'm going to just quickly touch on the Seven Deadly Sins, which I started watching when I've seen, was it four seasons? So they released the fifth season fairly recently. And I started with that. And I, I don't know, because I know, Tazzy, like, we've spoken about it before. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you, have you seen any of season five? Um, let me check that. <laughs> I don't know, because I watch, normally watch it on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they're a season behind. Ah, uh, okay. I don't okay. know. Interesting. Because, so I've watched up to season four, I believe it's four and fifth is the latest one on netflix anyway and i really enjoyed the previous seasons uh, and i'm struggling a bit with the latest one and it's that thing about i've mentioned this before about anime doing the uh, extreme exposition at times where mm. the the dialogue becomes just explaining character states or information that you need to know and for whatever reason it hit me more in this latest season where a lot of what the characters are saying just ends up being exposition um, so I've only seen like probably three or four episodes of the latest season. I was like just taken out of it a little bit. So I wanted to mention that just because I wondered if you had the same experience or was it just something that I was uh, I was thinking of. I have to say that I might have like slight rose tinted glasses <laughs> with this anime. So I don't know. <laughs> What I can say is really... (laughs) (laughs) With that disclaimer Um, on it. Yeah. So um, I can't... I've watched whatever the most recent season on Netflix is. And I feel like at one point, Hawk got an item. And then since he got that item, there seems to be a lot of over-explaining because he's over-explaining everything. Mm. he's talking about what he can see because of this item uh okay yeah yeah, yeah. okay do you follow me yeah, without... yeah. that was a pre that was a previous <laughs> season yeah um and then i feel like since that item has been given there's been more talk yeah like that person's really strong their level is duh, 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 duh. and we're like yeah clearly they're really strong <laughs> <laughs> we can see that <laughs> like yeah. that <laughs> Other than that, like, I don't know. I feel like for me, there's just so many questions I've had and then they get answered and I'm like, oh, yay. 
it's interesting because I, as I was watching, I'm, I'm like, I, I just noticed it more. So I don't know if it's they're mm. doing it more, but uh, I'm going to keep watching and then see how uh, my my feelings change uh, about it. But the yeah. other thing I have been watching, which uh, handles exposition, uh, I'd say a bit better, is Watchmen, the drama series, superhero drama series that's um, based on the comic of the same title. And I am really enjoying this. I'm about four or five episodes in. I know it's a short, um, short series, but yeah, really enjoying it. It's got that what happens next thing about it. So when you get to the end of one episode, you're like, mm, no, I need to know what happens next. And it's, it's got a great like setting. So as I understand it, it's not necessarily a, a reboot. It's sort of a, in some ways a continuation. So it takes place after the events of the comic and it's kind of been reimagined, if that's a word I can use, around a word set in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2019. So it's very current and even in some ways sort of <laughs> predicting the future where everyone's wearing a mask. I don't know how they knew. Um, but it's got this interesting setting where the police wear masks to protect themselves from violence from in particular this group of uh white supremacists called uh the seventh cavalry so they've kind of declared war on the tulsa police department and you have uh regina king who plays angela abar i think her character name is uh, and also she is a on the surface, she's a retired police officer, but she's actually continuing. She just wears a mask. So it, it has the the historical element to it and the present day setting. Uh, and obviously with everything happening, sort of, I mean, this came out in 2019. With everything that's happening this year, it just feels very, even more relevant. It's been a while since I watched it. Uh, who watches The Watchmen? I guess yeah. <laughs> every everyone I think <laughs> I really loved it. for a comic book adaptation um I think the creativity with how they interpreted the IP and brought it to a new audience in a way I really loved what they'd done with it and I really loved the questions that they're asking and the sorts of and the sorts of things they're bringing up and they're forcing the audience to deal with in the context yes. of a of a comic book TV yeah. show, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, not just philosophically, and and as Watchmen always has philosophy with it, but also uh, socially. And I think in particular um, with the setting in Tulsa, I think it was it was uh, marvelous. I loved it. Yeah, because like you say, it sort of brought up that the historical context around. Uh, what happened in Tulsa and again <laughs> particularly what what happened in America this year that brought light to that incident in I think it was the 20s um so yeah it just it, it hits on um on on different levels and it, it's just a entertaining show to watch yeah that's kind of what I've been watching I'm going to continue watching both of those and uh update probably on our live stream I'll have more to say so uh, stay tuned for that. But we are now going to get into our main story discussion. And today we're going to be talking about Pixar's Inside Out, which is an animated comedy film uh, with screenplay by Meg LeFauve, 
Josh Cooley, Pete Doctor, also directed by Pete Doctor and starring Amy Poehler, who I love from Parks and Rec. Uh, just amazing. And yeah, we're going to get into uh, quick takes and I'll do a recap and then we'll get into the details. So we'll start with our guest, uh, Rina. Ooh. What did you think about this animation before? I should say not to sort of set you up any. Yeah, I will say like before. <laughs> Um, we uh, started, even when we invited uh, Rena on, you made it clear you had thoughts. I, I have opinions on you this. You have opinions. Yeah, it's yeah. Da- dangerous opinions. Um, <laughs> I think, I think what, what's important to understand with when I watch a film like this, it, I feel like my brain splits in two. There's my passive kind of audience brain, and then there's my art director creative brain and I originally trained in animation and I came up through animation before I went into games so I feel like I will always watch a film these two different points of view so if I go kind of on my audience brain I thought it was fine I thought it was pretty good I felt like there was emotional beats that weren't quite landing especially when I saw it first 2015 and we can go into that in a bit more detail and kind of dig into it but I felt like it was almost a brilliant movie but not quite but then when I look at this film from a creator standpoint from a storyteller standpoint understanding this Hollywood system and I love this film <laughs> like I love that this film exists right this is not an easy film to make it is not an easy thing to pitch um, a film like Inside Out uh, I think Brad Bird, I don't know if you've read Creativity Inc., but um, yes, yeah. yeah, of course, yeah. But Brad Bird said that making this movie was like trying to do a triple backflip into a gale force wind <laughs> and, you're, and you're mad at yourself at not sticking the landing. And I think that's perfect. It is mm. like that. And I'm not sure if they quite stick the landing, but I'm going to give it a complete pass because I want more movies like this to be made. This, yeah. this, so this is that's kind of how I feel about it. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely dig into that. Uh, Tazzy, how did you feel about it? I really enjoy this film. Like, I feel, because I, I watched it again this week and it's just like so relevant to me right now that I just loved it even more. Like it really, I'm so... Uh, for everyone listening, if you don't follow me on Twitter and you've not seen, um, I'm currently going through cognitive behavioral therapy because uh, I've been suffering with uh, some depression. And like watching this film while going through that has like really, it, I don't know, like it made some of the lessons I'm learning to help myself make so much more sense. Right. Because I feel like, I feel like this fil- film was going on inside my head and has been going on inside my head for a while. I'm like, dealing with sadness and like my joy trying to reject the sadness and so it was so relevant that I like enjoyed it even more this second time watching it through and I I like I totally get the the beats missed I feel like that is a thing but I, I don't I don't think it was like anything damaging to the film I don't think that there were beats missed that would have been missed in like any animated film really but yeah overall I just yeah I think it's great I think it's a great story to tell and the way that they told it. So I I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I get the, the relevance thing as well, because I rewatched it um, before the podcast. And it just felt like it, it made sense at the first time of, of watching, but it just really made sense <laughs> this time. <laughs> and where we are in, yeah, in the year that is 2020. But just generally, uh, and I'll talk more about this, like the, just that overall idea of striving for happiness 
um, above everything else, which I thought was quite interesting statement um, to kind of challenge uh, in this. And like, I I really like what Pixar do it in in that they're able to take like this is a complex subject. This is not mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to um, to, to tackle, you know, in day to day life, uh, let alone in a sort of like Hollywood animated uh, animated film. But their ability to make something that can be understood at different levels from young people from from kids who can enjoy it and and get something from it to adults who like you say Taz is like something you're you're going through you can yeah you can connect with it I think as a as storytellers that's that's difficult like that's difficult to do and I think yeah as I was watching I was like you can almost take certain things for granted like it just came out like this it didn't have to. It didn't have to come out like this, and it's. Uh, I think it's quite an achievement. And I agree with uh, Rena's point about this kind of story. Just being glad that this kind of story can be made, and this this topic of discussion. So yeah, I um I want to get into these thoughts as well. So what I'm gonna do uh, for those that might not um remember everything i'm gonna recap the story should also mention spoiler alert we are gonna get into all aspects of inside out so if you have not seen it um you might want to eject now but uh if you have stick with us and i'm gonna recap before we dive deep into this story so this is a story that takes us inside the mind of riley where we meet the emotions that control her actions Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. Riley's experiences become memories stored as coloured orbs. Her five most important core memories power aspects of her personality, which take the form of floating islands. As the de facto leader, Joy tries to limit sadness's influence. At the age of 11, Riley's father gets a new job and the family moves to San Francisco. Her early experiences are poor, and on Riley's first day at her new school, sadness retroactively turns joyous memories sad, which causes Riley to cry in front of her new class and creates a sad core memory. Joy tries to dispose of the core memory by using a vacuum tube, but during a struggle with sadness, both her and Joy are sucked out of the headquarters and sent to long-term memory storage. Anger, fear and disgust are left in control with disastrous results as Riley's personality islands gradually fall apart and are forgotten. In a drastic attempt to rescue the situation, Anger gives Riley the idea to run away back to their home in Minnesota, believing it will help restore her happiness. While navigating the long-term memory area, Joy and Sadness meet Riley's childhood imaginary friend Bing Bong, who suggests riding the train of thought back to headquarters. When the train eventually derails with the collapse of another island, Joy abandons sadness and tries to ride a recall tube back to headquarters, but that effort also fails, sending Joy and Bing Bong into the memory dump. A disheartened Joy discovers a sad Riley memory that turns happy and finally understands sadness's purpose. She and Bing Bong try to use Bing Bong's old wagon rocket to escape the memory dump. They eventually succeed when Bing Bong jumps out, allowing Joy to escape while Bing Bong fades away. Joy and Sadness return to headquarters, and to the surprise of the other emotions, Joy hands control of the console to Sadness, who is able to prompt Riley to return home where her parents comfort her. This creates a new core memory that is both happy and sad, representing Riley's acceptance of her new life. A year later, Riley has adapted to her new home, 
made new friends and returned to her old hobbies. Inside headquarters, her emotions all work together on a newly expanded console with room for them all. The end. So what I will say like about this film is that because uh, I do workshops with young people, so I do like comic story workshops as part of, of my matter. And I like to use like references that uh, the kids, so we're talking kids from as young as eight to like 15, like will understand. So I'm, I'm often references like video games, anime, manga. And there's, there's usually a point in the sessions where I talk about, well, I talk about how to talk about story in terms of like plot and characters. And I, I always, almost always use Inside Out as an example, because it's quite a, a safe choice in terms of um, the content, but also I'm pretty much guaranteed that, you know, kids will have seen this film. So it's a good reference to use. And as I do that, or as I was doing that, I thought to myself that I knew I remembered the plot and I did, but on watching it a second time again, uh, I realized I've actually been um, butchering the plot a little bit. So I'm going to have to um, adjust, <laughs> adjust how I do. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. That's quite a key bit. I should have uh, not uh, uh, squashed that uh, part of the story so much. Anyway, that's a little um, behind the scenes. So one of the things that I found interesting about this story, uh, watching it both times, is this idea of the uh, dual protagonist story because you have Riley as the protagonist, but really Joy is the protagonist, but they are one in the same. Um, so I was looking this up and you have this this idea of like the, uh, the co-protagonist story where like you can have two or more characters that go on a journey together um, and they together experience things um, at the same, you know, uh, time and space. But this is really two in almost independent central characters that go on their own distinct journeys and going back to the the idea of like Pixar just just being just great storytellers, they've managed to have these two characters go on journeys, experience transformations around the same thing, being sadness and the role that sadness plays in our lives. Like um, I just wanted to mention, make sure I mentioned that because, like I said, it's like that idea of you know the stories that uh, a child can um, understand, but then also an adult. And somehow they've managed to they've managed to do that. I don't know how they keep keep doing this with their stories. <laughs> and that that work they're doing with the two different stories is absolutely fascinating. And I think how and the more I thought about it, and I've watched it several times since, and particularly this week. And the more I looked into it, and I started really sitting down, realizing creative decisions they've made. Um, you can see that throughout the film's design. Everything in the film is structured to enhance those two stories and that they're distinct. Like you could, as an art director, you could you could have gone different ways with that. You could have tried to bring them together and make them feel more cohesive. But there's a deliberate choice to make those two two worlds and those two stories feel very distinct. If you think about it, the world inside um, Riley's brain, it's so highly saturated, it's got this great, like lots of high contrast, it's fantastical, it has this sort of explosion of colour and visual imagery, and it has a sense of kind of perfection to it. And then if you look at the outside world of like Riley's real world, that's way less saturated, it's mm. lower contrast, it's much more dreary and has this uh, normality to it this reality it's very grounded yeah especially when they get to the new house in san francisco exactly yeah and you can almost see like the journey that riley goes 
is almost the inverse visually that uh, Joy goes on because Riley starts in this broad, wide open, sweeping spaces of Minnesota, this sort of endless horizon, a huge house, everything is open and free. And then she gets smaller and smaller and her world just narrows as we go through the film and becomes more and more claustrophobic. And you can obviously see that from her room and the tininess of her bedroom uh, until you get to this pivotal moment when she's in the bus and it's so tight and the camera's really tight and she's just sort of trapped, right? Like this, this journey she goes on from this sort of wideness, freedom and adventure to this like feeling that she has nowhere to go. On the other hand, Joy, who spends her whole life in this cozy, intimate space <laughs> in Riley's head, it's really small, she understands it, she's in control. And then she gets dumped out into this huge expanse of the long-term uh, storage. And it just gets bigger and more overwhelming from there until her pivotal moment is in the memory dump. And it's the, the, this vast expanse of space. And I just found it absolutely amazing. The more I thought about it, the way they weave and contrast these two worlds to bring you on the same story, but make it feel fresh and different and interesting throughout. Absolutely exceptional. Yeah, it's good to get your perspective in terms of like art direction, because actually, even when you were talking about The Last of Us, uh, I felt kind of bad because when I played The Last of Us <laughs> and looking at that loading screen, I'm just like, hurry up, let's get into this game. I didn't even take, a, I didn't even take time to notice like the implications of what that, <laughs> what that meant. So I definitely appreciate you bringing it up. And same here with like the, uh, the representation of, of, yeah, of the, and I, I will say to give myself some credit, one thing I did notice is when they got to the new house, the like the contrast in terms of uh, the house, like I mentioned, but then also like Riley herself still remain quite mm. colourful. Um, and yes, I, that, I was yeah. like, oh, okay, cool. I noticed something. Um, I feel feel a bit better about myself. But anyway, mm. you were saying. But you're you're so right about Riley. Like, if you, I, I, this is what I love about Pixar, and I love how they approach that the thoughtfulness that they have with their designs. Because if you want again to look at the Riley's emotional journey, watch her clothes. Do you see this? So mm. her first outfit is this, she's wearing this colorful rainbow t-shirt that has every color of all the emotions. Yeah. That first moment when she comes into her house, then on the day she's going to school and Joy is in control, she's like, button up, be joyful. She has this yellow zipped up jumper right up to her neck. And then that evening when she's back at home and Joy and Sadness have gone on their journey and she's left with fear and disgust and anger she has this stripey jumper which only has red and green on it and then of course in that moment when she's at her lowest she doesn't have any color at all no emotion she's entirely in black um, as she gets this hopeless so there's even and this is so incredible but even just the choices of clothing reinforce and deepen the kind of journey that riley is going on mm. and because I'm I'm writing our, our next manga. So when I'm writing things, I'm always like, uh, you know, as you make stories, you go through that uh, roller coaster of like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. And then it's like, oh, what was I thinking? I can't do this. Like, this is a terrible story and I, I'm incapable of writing. Uh, and you kind of get out of that. But as you, as you do that, you're like, how can I make this story better? And I was appreciate looking at, like you say, this attention to detail. And it's all about the the story. It's It's telling the story through like what happens and what the characters say and do that's like one level 
But then it's like, how do we get this? How do we use this like visual medium to reinforce like the themes around the story, the states that the characters are in? And I'm looking at that like just yeah, wow, okay, this is the this is the level to <laughs> to get to in terms of like putting together a story where you just experience it, whether it's consciously or or subconsciously. Um, mm. ironically in this case is yeah just like I, I appreciate that so like I mean what did you think about the design of the, the of other aspects like the the characters or even <laughs> the one that kind of struck me on on second viewing was the the personality islands and how <laughs> they were they were very I got the the theme park kind of vibe they're sort of very fun and um and interesting how those were represented yeah I mean I remember watching it first, they sort of felt so, I mean, I think this is thinking about with how, how Pixar approached Riley's mind. And I think there is a playfulness to it. There's a sense of almost um, Chuck Norris or maybe (laughs) even, you know, this childish playfulness and kind of light and joy to the whole experience. Uh, or even Dr. Seuss or something. There's this kind of, you know, quirky playfulness to it. And it's really only later in the film when you start seeing other people's minds that you think, actually, maybe I thought at first that this is how all minds look, but this is specifically how Riley's mind looks. And perhaps those personality islands in mind might not feel like theme parks at all. Maybe they'll feel like something completely different. But for Riley, this is the right fit for her because she's this goofball she's playful she's a child she her personalities and the sort of aspects to her personality are expressed in this way but oh, i i think for me like i don't know how you felt but goofball island really upset me <laughs> like i felt really? i mean yeah because you know you see this deep inner fear of her is this clown and i felt like goofball island had an element this and particularly when you see it early on and it's collapsing I was like yeah right this is good because I found (laughs) this sort of like oh it's so it's so intense and it felt it felt like the clown to me and I I was kind of ever so slightly relieved when that island (laughs) to go yeah (laughs) wow in comparison to sort of maybe the camera uh, like a honesty um island and and the yeah, Fred like family, family. which felt a little bit more stable <laughs> <laughs> oh what did you think tazzy i was sad to see goofball island collapsing because <laughs> like for me like everything's about that inner child like i feel like just in life in general like the inner child is always the first thing that people like let go and goofball island is that like inner child that pure like innocence and nothing really like of consequence <laughs> mm. and so see that fall was like really like her that was like her f- first island right or like one of the very first core memories is like goofball and you're like oh like i don't want to see her like because it would see, be so i don't know, it's like just stereotypical and cliche for like oh become a teenager and you suddenly stop being goofy <laughs> like no i'm 27 i'm still goofy <laughs> well i think this is this is part of what i you know find interesting about the story of inside out like is this the core of this is this riley going up which is part of it of course or is this about riley having a sort of emotional crisis because 
there's something else, something external going on that's triggering an emotional crisis. And of course, there's a bit of both. Yeah. But I think that's partly where some of that that where the story struggles because it, I feel like it's trying to balance all these levers. Like, is it is it Riley growing up? Is it that there's a crisis going on that's really upsetting? How upsetting is that crisis? How upset should Riley be? How dark is this going to be? And it's struggling to keep all those things in balance because, mm. I think, oh, as I you say, you like that moment of loss for goofball island is that yeah she's she's growing up and might come back later when when maybe she's a bit more self-confident and she doesn't mind being a goofball because she's not a teenager anymore and this is, you know you get a bit awkward as a teenager and you don't want to seem silly maybe but she might, might come back and but it might not and that's part of growing up and discovering your adult personality and that personalities aren't so fixed they are. Yeah, that's a good point. I was just going to say, I definitely think this story does struggle with like that balance between being a coming of age story and a like emotional. I don't know. I can't remember. I really like the word you said, and I can't remember what you <laughs> used. But like this, this, this emotional upset that's happened, and I think in a way it can either be like a pro or con to it because it mm. can because sometimes like like a really impactful thing happens in our lives and that forces us to grow up and so you could say like it's kind of like oh yeah it's it's representing that and you know either way it's it's there it's a thing that she does also have to grow up (laughs) Um, (laughs) and so it is yeah it's a really tough balance to find and and I think it's the biggest thing that I noticed about the film like are we are we growing up or are we just dealing with this emotional thing that's happened (laughs) because they're two different things I feel like it was more the emotional thing. And I only say it because at the end, when they get the expanding console, and I think one of the emotions, I think it might have been discussed, like there's like a puberty button. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what is that? That's a whole, a whole other journey. Yeah, that was like, uh, we might, might make a sequel for this movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll see. It's we'll there, see. it's an option. So that to me said that, and because of the way this started, from the external, like, you know dad's got a new job we're moving so everything you knew and loved is gone and that external it like inciting incident to to kick off the emotional response that takes us on that on that journey so that's why i feel they were lent more towards that but also like as he said set, <laughs> setting that stage for for a sequel also <laughs> i think and i think that's that's where i i struggled when i was watching it and now when i see it now knowing the whole arc i know I kind of understand the context and I'm I'm not waiting for the the like real sort of Damocles to drop and 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 the real like awful moment. Like I spent the first time watching that film thinking that something that Riley was really gonna get pushed off the edge to you know that that the, that the I was waiting for the really awful thing to f- happen. Yeah. And it didn't like quite happen. Event. Um yeah, exactly. And it didn't quite happen. And now when I watch it knowing the whole plot and knowing the arc I can kind of relax into the movie and it doesn't bother me so much that that emotional moment doesn't hit but certainly when I saw it first I was kind of going like oh here we go right in school you know what's gonna happen next and it never (laughs) quite hit that lowest low that I and I felt like you know, if if you have you watched this, there's a there's an edit you can find online where it will just show you Riley's point of view absolutely um, fascinating to just watch Riley's story and I think it's about 15 minutes so you see how much 
15, 20 minutes, it shows you how much the movie is from Riley's point of view. And I think that's where you can see that ever so slight miss for me. Where and I and I feel like that I was waiting for the consequences of her crying in school to really oh, I see hit. Yes. Because and, and maybe this is my my problem because I was a uh, that age for me when I was a kid was really hard. I, I did not have a good time as an eleven year old in school, um, and I know the consequence of crying in school, and it's not good. And crying in school is not good. And it might take months to recover. And I feel like you didn't need much more than to, there was like a moment or two where you could have just pulled on the heartstrings just a touch more and it would have made it really bleak. And you would understand Riley's decision to run away. Whereas I felt like it it did feel ever so slightly like an overreaction because of Given what they showed. Yeah, given yeah. what they showed, because you yeah. can see like broccoli pizza, the furniture is delayed. It's coming on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is why I think I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think as well, like to go back to dealing with like dealing with my personal emotions and, and going through my therapy is like for me, like school was horrible for me. I had like the worst time. I even have friends comment on like you went through a lot. And you were always so happy. Like you did not, it did never, it never got to you. Obviously it did, but just not in the dramatic way that you'd expect someone to deal with the things that I went through. But now being an adult, I'm experiencing like sadness in the way that is like representative of Riley. It's these little things that continuously happen on top of each other that just get on top of you. And then suddenly you have to deal with sadness that you didn't realize you needed to deal with and because you've just been pushing it aside and you've not been recognizing that this thing is annoying this thing is upsetting and like just facing it um that that then that is when you get into this kind of like emotional crisis um and i think that was perfectly displayed in this it wasn't about this like big dramatic event that happened that then like sent you into a spiral it was all the little things that pile up and you're pushing aside because ultimately the big thing that has affected her is this big move. Like as an mm. 11 year old moving to a home, like whole new area is hard. I've like moved so many times in my life and the biggest move, it was hard. It's like something you don't even realize how hard it's going to be being away from everything you know especially when you're not in control of the move yeah exactly she's not in control her dad's not about like the all these things that are are normally like foundation in her life have suddenly just crumbled away and she's not facing it then these little things the broccoli on the pizza the moving around they're all just adding up her dad like then not you know, didn't come and say goodnight to her or whatever, like all these Mm. things adding up. And she's even got that extra pressure of like being the happy person. And I I know know. all too well what that feels like. And so she's ignoring her sadness. I I thought that was one of the most profound parts. Her mom saying to her, oh, through all this confusion, you've stayed our happy girl. So she just went, if you and I could just keep smiling, it would be a big help. And I was just like, oh, yeah, so painful. I didn't really, I mean, I, I, I heard it on, on the first watch and everything. But again, this year in particular, kind of it, it felt worse. <laughs> um, just like saying that to, like, especially the child when 
they've got so much going on it's just like ah yeah maybe that's not the right thing to say because you're again you're kind of blocking the the sadness to come through which, which needs that needs to come through to get through mm. this um situation so yeah it, it took on a new kind of note <laughs> for me on uh, on this watch but i'm interested like rena mentioned sort of the the issue about like what you show essentially so seeing riley cry at school but not necessarily seeing the consequences of that and it's always quite fascinating for me particularly with, with pixar because i like how they go through their process like i like um, in creativity inc how they describe that that process of the uh, the brain uh, trust mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I've kind of adopted in some way for uh, for my Mada, uh manga, just the idea of putting your ideas out and getting that uh, honest feedback and then making those changes. So one of the things that struck me about this film and the story behind it is uh, Pete Doctor, who um, directed it, he was saying how, well, first of all, he was saying how he got, he got the story idea from watching his own daughter, uh, Ellie, which he describes losing her joy at age 11. So going back to what I was saying about the workshops and I, I, uh, I actually play, I usually play like uh, Pixar, I have this series, um, Pixar in a Box, how they explain different aspect, aspects of storytelling. And I find it's a good kind of uh, skeleton to some of the workshops I do, because again, the kids can kind of relate to that. And uh, <laughs> Pete Doctor is actually the one in one of the videos and he says, write what you know. So I, I felt that was a good like lesson to take from it. Like he's taken something that he's experiencing in his life and and chosen to make a story around around it. But the uh, the even more interesting uh, thing is about the the idea of iterations and you know mm. getting the story idea and then just building on it. So nothing comes out perfect the first time. And hearing that initially it was joy paired with fear, and hearing Pete describe how that wasn't working. And they decided to switch it to have joy with sadness because that led to the message at the end of the at the end of the story. And that's another thing to to get across in in my workshops was that for a lot of the times is uh, again sort of kids eight to eight to fifteen when they're in these sessions they for whatever reason they have this idea or I say whatever reason I think it's school and <laughs> that they need the right answer they're sort of in that mindset of I need to just do this one one and done it needs to be the right thing. And part of my sessions is like, you know, it's not about perfection. It's just like getting the idea out and then building on it. So I really like that uh, Pixar, you know, have also go through this process. It's, it's good to hear that from them. And how long it takes. That can oh, yeah, be quite comforting. Yeah, especially, yeah. Especially this, uh, I believe that Inside Out was production for longer than the average. You mentioned it with the, the dual protagonist. I mean, this is a complex story. Mm. And this so you know you're talking about building on your own understanding but it's such a personal thing and I, I think it was Shannon Tyndall I heard speak once and he said to make the more universal you want your movie to be your story to be the more personal it should be the more likely it is that that experience will resonate with others yeah. and I think that was you know the exact moment you're talking about with Pete walking in the woods and coming to this kind of realization yeah. and going through such a traumatic, like he was so terrified that it wasn't going to work and that his film was going to be terrible and he'd be fired or, or whatever. He was yeah, going, you like emotional crisis yeah. in the woods. And any creative person would go, yeah, yeah, that, that feels familiar. Like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, oh, too real. <laughs> um, and that he kind of comes to this realization at that, at that low point for him. And that you can then build on that and recover and 
that that's sort of a necessary almost a part of that creative process is like getting to that really personal core of what am I trying to say what am I learning what question am I answering and that it, you can be vulnerable and you can explore things in your own life and find something that will connect with everyone else because it's real exactly it's that like you say it's, it's universal if you can get down to sort of that, that base human emotions or, or states you you can get that universal story and then you sort of build up and layer it to a story that you know emotions inside a 11 year old girl's head and, <laughs> and and all that stuff you can build on that by its core it's like that thing that people can understand and then that i think that kind of thing hits so yeah i'm always quite impressed how they managed to do it because like i say it didn't the story didn't have to come out like this sometimes when you watch the finished product product you kind of see oh yeah i see how they've you know they've they foreshadowed like for example uh in this film they foreshadowed uh, bing bong because there's a scene mm. where riley's drawing him on the on the wall and then you see him later you go oh yeah of course yeah, yeah i see how that links up but really like it's just it's not it doesn't just come out like that <laughs> and it's almost you take it for granted that oh yeah of course it just links together like that but it is really a process and yeah i feel like just every time i, I watch pixar films in particular just uh, feeling that uh, that process and speaking of the process of of storytelling uh, another thing that struck me about this film is the idea that it is a a story without a villain or an antagonist mm. And I know Pixar often do interesting things with their their villains, but I feel for maybe more than most, this one is really absent of an antagonist. So my question to you both is, is there an antagonist? Is Joy the antagonist in this film? Is there a case for that? Yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, if you think right at the early part, Riley is in the um, the house that just arrived, and her dad's about to leave because um, he has to go to work. He has to go to Brang, which must be the best. <laughs> <laughs> what what you Brang? Um, yeah, it's, it's such a startup name. But he's about to have to go to Brang. And, and Sadness says, he doesn't love us anymore. That's sad. I should drive, right? And Joyce stops it like right there. And if she hadn't done that, none of the rest would have. If she had let Sadness mm. drive, this like Riley would have been able to deal then. So, it, you know, it was, it was joy trying to prevent sadness from having this impact in Riley's mind that caused the core memories to go into the shoot that like, that drove a lot of this, the, the bad things one might say that happened yeah. in the movie, but it was necessary for joy to, to like go on that journey. Mm. Would you agree, Tazio? Yeah, I think I like agree with literally everything. Rudy's <laughs> <laughs> just said, yeah, I don't think there's much more to add to that. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, because Joy, at every, even from the very beginning when she is first introduced and then sadness is introduced, there is conflict uh, between us. So <laughs> yeah. is, she is very much the 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 problem, um, I guess. But then, you know, I said earlier on about the idea of this sort of uh this pursuit of happiness because we've got this situation where like you know the year we're in but also you know outside of the pandemic um and the the mental toll that has taken i feel even if you look you know in recent years this idea that you you must always be happy uh and i think the film also like is is relevant just to that general point of it, everything we kind of strive towards is about sort of being being happy and I, I just like the message of 
yeah, just maybe it's, it's okay to be sad. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and I, I, I would say, yeah, Joy is the antagonist or just the situation that Riley is in. I'm happy to go with Joy as the antagonist <laughs> in, 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 these, in this piece. But I think there's a, a, also a powerful reminder of how people are going through tough times. Well, like you see this amazing scene with joy, sadness, Bing Bong has just lost his cart into the, the memory dump. And he's realizing that Riley is forgetting him and, and he's going to go, he's going to vanish eventually. And he can try and hold it off, but he, he, he's going he's gonna to die effectively. And, and um, joy is like, oh, I'm going to tickle you and yay, and yeah. distract you and it's fine, everything's going to be okay and look over there, we can use the train. And sadness just sits and be, and is like is with him in that moment and sort of acknowledging that this was sad and empathizing with him and, and being there with him, with his emotions and trying to negate them or cover them over or distract someone and sort of force happiness upon him, but letting him work through it. And I think, you know, we've all been in those places where someone care about is struggling and we're trying so hard to help and there is this temptation to just be like just be happy yeah (laughs) Yeah. why why won't you be happy (laughs) look at but but it's it's not it's about being there for them and helping them where they're at and and trying to comfort them where they are and i thought that was also a really necessary Kind of, I, and I've, it's it's not something that they, this is what's wonderful. Very few films straight out give you that moment and go like, look, here's two approaches to dealing with someone who's in a bad place. Which one's going to work better? And I think that that was also a great moment. Yeah, I think I think that may, moment was great, and it's just this this constant like um, that's where it starts to build on these moments where joy does recognize that sadness has a place. And that sadness having a place doesn't mean that joy cannot exist. Mm. It just means that sadness has to be recognized before joy can step in and be the happy, you know, (laughs) go lucky silver lining that there is. And just that facing that sadness. And that is like the first moment. And then I love how it just builds on that. Well, it's part of empathy, right? Yeah. You know, it's that sadness. It's about not only coming to terms with your own sadness, but being there for others who are sad, and and how it's it encourages us to help each other. Like you see someone in pain, help, and that's part of what sadness does. Riley, I think I think this does so well to just show that, like, because I think people can easily more easily find empathy for someone else than they can themselves at least that's what mm. i found for myself <laughs> and what i notice in a lot of of people um is that like it's really easy to give someone else advice it's really easy to sort yeah, of like offer other for. people forgiveness yeah and like you know just like really have that space like if someone else is sad you're more likely to comfort them than if you're sad you're less likely like we're way more critical of ourselves we're we're harsher on ourselves we don't allow ourselves to be weak Mm. and I think the fact that this is all going on in Riley's head like effectively this is Riley talking to Riley that like that is so important and that it's not necessarily about someone else offering you that empathy and that space it's like really about allowing yourself to face that sadness and I think for me, that's like 
one of like the biggest things I took away from it, definitely the second time around. And that like facing those emotions yourself, because I think it's so easy to to see it in someone else, but it's really hard to like face your own emotions. And I think what was, yeah, it was also amazing that they draw this distinction and depression. I feel like they just hint at it. It was very, very gentle. But that moment where Riley is in the bus and the console is starting to go black. Like for me, yes. that's when she's tipping uh, yeah, into yeah. this other space where the, the emotions were no longer even able to help. Yeah. Like she, it wasn't about being at this. She's not sad. She's beyond sad. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really powerful. Sometimes we kind of equate the, almost like a simplify things and equate the two together that, oh, if you're depressed you're just sad and and it's not it's more than that it's far more than that and i think for again for a children's movie like a family so movie deep. i oh. know and we're here discussing the psychology of emotion and yeah. it's incredible like if we see this as a tool for kids to explore some of these really safe space mm. as well like how how do you help a, a child who's sort of beginning to get the concepts for these things and how they feel and to giving them a film like this to work through some of the things it's such a powerful thing and like that moment with the console like I really felt that like it was I like I was like I remember myself being in points of that you know yeah like, you can feel that it was a, it's like yeah, no way out. and that that point where you're like you're almost void of emotion mm. and like not even like to feel sadness would be great because you're completely not even you're so like deep in a in a point mm. of depression that like it's not even sadness that you feel and it's not like you said like um depression and sadness are two separate things and like yeah it's yeah it's just that moment of the way that con like the console just grays over and she's on the bus at that point as well and it's everything so dangerous. is <sighs> and it's a nice mix because it is that point of no return in in both cases it, it's you're approaching that point of, of no return in in uh in a way and they just match those two moments up uh really well yeah that real like despair point that low point it was so so well addressed i think i think that's a great great it's a great movie to show someone that's like not necessarily understanding maybe their own emotions or someone else's emotions mm. yeah 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 for for like a kid's film but without like but it's still such a like enjoyable film i was just gonna say and they so managed to, have <laughs> to do all of that and then have so many hilarious moments like like the the um imaginary boyfriends i would die for <laughs> i would die for any i would die for any did he is it wasn't he from canada or something like I mean, yeah <laughs> from, why have from, i never seen it before i'm from canada or, or even just these like amazing it's like oh no all these facts and opinions are all mixed up that was the one that was I think I feel again there were like certain things I didn't quite pick up on maybe or didn't resonate as much in the first watch but mm. this year that we've had like yeah. and I, I mentioned Twitter when I saw that box facts and opinions oh, it doesn't yeah. matter. Well, just, just, and I put it all in the same place so I was like wow that's, oh that's where we are right now yeah <laughs> my head went exactly like Twitter I was just like yeah Twitter same thing that I thought as soon as they done that and I really do love like the um 
how they sort of the imagery of like things like the train of thought and it like it take took me a while to like pick up on that and I was like oh the train of thought sorry. oh my god that's so clever <laughs> and the um sorry go sorry ahead. I was just gonna say in the toothbrush advert like yes. uh, with a toothpaste or whatever and like everyone's got that triple advert that, but... triple that gum, gum yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, sometimes we just kick it up there for for, for laughs and like I love those oh, it's, just memories. Such, it's just such perfect imagery because you can totally imagine these characters in your like that your emotions are these little characters in your head and there is this like train of a train of thought and memory like Oh, it's just so perfect. And especially when they display like the uh, other brains and they mm. take you into oh, different brains. And I don't <laughs> I know if you've watched bits. the short. Yeah, yeah, I did. Riley's first date I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, the, the mom and the dad, just the, the differences between them. For, for this, we turned down that he- Brazilian helicopter pilot. Yeah. <laughs> At <laughs> a moment where he's like watching sports in his head, and uh, that I'll I'll be honest, I I do that. So uh, um, I, I have friends I've that done, definitely yeah, do yeah, that. I've yeah. Absolutely, that was me. I've got that the the last football game or or basketball it might be playing my head. Someone's talking to me, and I'm just not taking it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not I'm nodding like I'm doing all the the motions. But uh, yeah, I'm just not taking it in. I connected with that. With yeah. that moment, with the father in that moment, such a perfect scene. And then he was like, well, "That could have been a disaster." I did also like the representation of the long-term memory when they're clearing up stuff, and um, uh, I think they were talking about the the phone numbers and like your phone numbers. We don't need this. We have mobile phones. Like, yeah, hey, she's got, yeah, she got it on her phone. Like, what do we need that for? Like, yeah, there's so many moments where they just like they captured just. The way we think, the uh, how we think, but when you see it in that representation, and it's just they added that layer of uh, comedy and, and hilariousness to it. Mm. I mean, can can we uh, just again? This is a children's movie, and <laughs> we, they did a whole segment on abstraction. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, we're going to non abstract fragmentation. <laughs> oh, it was like. It's incredible. I love. What was they like chucking in that they needed to clear out the abstracts for? And they was uh, she oh. was dealing with the concept of loneliness. So oh they needed yeah. To, yeah, they needed to spend or use ab- <laughs> use that uh, whole sequence to figure out how loneliness worked. Oh, so good. And then and then like I I watched uh, how um how, I think it was Chris Kusaki, uh, I think his name is production designer and character designer were trying to represent yes Sozaki was trying to represent the characters of Bing Bong and and uh in this sort of abstraction point the star and the um and the kind of weird shape of Bing Bong and I was like (laughs) beautiful um so nice so I think I feel like we touched on a lot of the the themes I also like to to pull out uh some of the themes but uh, one of the things that kind of again connected with me on this is is that importance of of memories and the memories tied to emotions as well. Uh, and I also like how they they sort of had the the orbs that were coloured by the emotions, um, and in that kind of colours how you view 
that memory. And again, it just made me think about uh, some of the stuff uh, this year. I mean, before before we were recording this, um, I was just saying that, you know, this year and, and how from a business perspective, it's just, you know, all plans out the window and having to make new ones and um, how particularly with Gamepad, how the direction we've gone in with that is something that right now like in, in this year it is definitely a, a sad <laughs> a sad moment but like in future might look on that in a different light in a, in a different emotion uh, having gone down a path that might ultimately lead to some uh, different kind of success or something like that so that kind of uh, hit me and one I definitely wanted to just mention in terms of themes is that importance of um of empathy as well because i've i think i brought it up on this on this podcast if i haven't i will definitely when we get to that last of us part two um talk is that empathy and i feel something that this film shows when you see sadness just sit down with bing bong and that being something that i feel we've kind of in some sense lost sight of this year just that ability to understand someone else's experience and emotion as valid even though it's not your own like i said i'm gonna save a lot of that empathy talk for the last of us <laughs> part two podcast but yeah just again just being able to bring that out in, in this film and i think to rena's original point about it being important for this kind of film to be made and i, I feel that when i go to the workshops and i mentioned inside out and, and the kids have seen it and they can they can pull out the lessons I, it just reminds me that this is something that you know is is worthwhile talking about although having said that i will <laughs> there was one session where i i mentioned inside out and there was just one this one boy just was not having it he did not like this film at all i would have <laughs> loved to have had him on this podcast i was trying to because i <laughs> in the moment i said like i said like oh, i'm going to use inside out as an example he's like what that Oh, I can't remember his exact words. Um, they weren't good. It was not a glowing recommendation. I was I was trying to pick apart like why don't you like it and things like that. It obviously, it wasn't the time to to do that in the workshop, but I always remember that that interaction because most mm -hmm. of the time it's good. Uh, you know, you can't have hundred uh, percent success all the time. That guy was just not having it. Uh, it is at so all. interesting to know why. Like, I, know, I feel like right? this isn't a film that you like. Even if it's not your cup of tea, I don't feel like it's a film that you dislike no, he strongly was passionate. He was like passionate about, i can't oh, imagine that <laughs> he yeah, was so passionate I, about it i struggle but uh, but something as a creative i've come to understand that's like i want the strong reactions like i am okay mm. with some people hating it so that other people can love it because yeah. i feel like if you don't have at least some people really really not like your product it's probably not interesting enough yeah you haven't you know, really said like anything it, or, or you haven't said it out. Anything. it's just bland it's like popcorn for your mind that you know i want something that surprises and challenges people and yes i i also wonder why you didn't like it to that extent yeah it's yeah. so curious <laughs> like i'm also like oh like can we unpackage why you don't like it <laughs> And that's where I was. I wanted to like unpack that, but you know, uh, you know, there was like another twenty other kids in in the room. That's to kind of yeah. keep it moving. But you're but... like, stop, 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 stop! Everyone, everyone, stop! I've done this. <laughs> Why? Like, it almost, almost got like to it. that. Um, I do. Oh, I've and done... I'd be interested to know, like, when they're older, if they watch it with like a new appreciation. Yeah. Like now, I'm just so curious, and I'll never yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Maybe it's like Riley. Maybe she'll figure out that. 
actually really delicious. Yeah. Maybe he'll yeah, figure yeah. out that actually. Yeah, not on the pizza, but really uh, you know, pair it with the right things. Like you can make that work. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you know this already because I think it went around. But they, they localization is so important, and if you have the sort of budget that Pixar has, you can do that. And they switched out the broccoli for certain regions where people really like broccoli. <laughs> so oh, in Japan, I, I heard. Yeah, this is amazing. I heard in Japan because people quite like broccoli. It didn't really resonate, but the kid wouldn't like broccoli so they switched it to green pepper because apparently that's the thing that kids in japan don't like eating is green Green pepper pepper. so in some in some the broccoli is switched to green pepper that's so amazing that's so impressive that's what that's what a good budget will do for you let's let's find out what the world like doesn't like and recognizing it's not universal so things we think yeah yeah definitely localization is like such an impact on on the creative industry yeah. so maybe that's Must his problem maybe yeah he can get beyond the broccoli he's like the broccoli is great <laughs> yeah he just really really likes broccoli and just that yeah just, he couldn't like can't, couldn't have it from that deal. point <laughs> like, yeah you're not doing this to broccoli how <laughs> um, dare you yeah broccoli <laughs> does belong on pizza you can say what you like at San Francisco, but don't come from my green from my yeah, no, you can. Uh, <laughs> I, so my final kind of like thought question is I know we, we've spoken a lot about joy and sadness. Uh just wondering if there were any of the other emotions that you particularly enjoyed, connected with, or reacted to Tazzy. Well, that's not fair. All of them, they're all great. They're all great. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm gonna have to dissect what like I'm gonna I know you said quickly, but I yeah. can't do it. <laughs> you asked me a favorite. <laughs> this is what I get. There's only five of them. There we go. Like, obviously, joy. I absolutely love joy. Joy is the emotion. Like, I really resonated with this whole movie because for me, like, I'm known as like the really happy person. I'm always the one that like sees the silver lining and I find it hard to face sadness properly. Um, so, obviously, like, joy is. Joy's my Joy's my girl. Like <laughs> me and Joy hang out. Sadness was just like comedic timing everywhere. This is yeah. sadness. And like the moment that sadness is like just on the floor and's like, no, like I can't. <laughs> and then just gets dragged and it's like touching all the memories and turning them blue. But then it's the second time when she gets dragged and she's like, here we go. Yeah, and she just takes up the position. Up and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she just constantly, oh, and she's just so, she's just such a sweetheart. Like, oh, I done wrong. And like, she's not, she's just doing, she's sadness. She's doing what she's meant to do. Yeah. And just sadness. Love. But disgust. Can we talk about disgust? The sass on disgust was just. I love her so much. Like, just. Every point, like, oh my god, no. And uh, I just absolutely <laughs> loved just everything about the sass of disgust was like on point, perfect, timing, great, like just embodied that kind of that like attitude was mm. just so there. And then like anger. Wait, someone, someone said, like, oh, there's the cool girls. We should go talk to them. And she's like, oh, yeah, no. And then, like, anger for me, like, anger is an emotion that I have connected to a lot. 
joy and anger was like my teenagers. I mean, anger's still there. I've just kind of like tried to like learn to chill, chill out a bit. But yeah. um, those like hot-headed reactions, I like still <laughs> feel happen like in my. I can feel anger in my brain, and like that is the perfect embodiment of anger. Like that, just immediately like. <gasps> <laughs> And like someone else just happened to be like, yo, calm down. And I can totally imagine like fear being there, like anger, like chill, like something's going to happen if you get too angry. <laughs> just calm down. Just calm down. And they're all my favorites. Like fear just there being like, I think the moment fear, you don't, you don't question why fear exists at any point because I feel like fear establishes their place so early on when they're running round it's like when she's a toddler and they're running round and there's like the cord it's like okay okay we've got the steady yes, steady yes, steps okay, over it and we're like <laughs> and everyone's like yeah you feel it and like feels amazing and we never question after that point it's so early on we don't question why fear is there right i feel like anger sometimes i'm like why no one's really <laughs> why is anger here again <laughs> over this i don't feel like there's any points that anger is like really save the day you know i think they said that he was supposed to be there to keep things fair yeah like he sticks up for riley's point of view yeah yeah so i love all of them okay cool <laughs> <laughs> long story short they're all great that's an acceptable answer uh how about you Rina? yeah i mean for me i think fear sort of faded i don't think i feel like it was didn't seem to have quite so many great moments I mean like I think you're so right sadness has the best lines I mean there's this another moment which I loved they're in this sort of imaginary trophy land everyone's getting a trophy they're all getting number one and she goes oh participation award I just, I just really felt the sadness. And I think as I got older, I, f- I felt like I appreciated her so much more. That joy is bounding around. She's so full of energy. She's exhausting. And I, I am down for sadness. lying there going like, why does everything have to be so energetic? <laughs> it's like, I'm feeling you sadness. I get it. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they're so finely judged. And I did wish that Disgust had a bit more screen time because she is so funny. And I love the way she moved her little kind of like, like her little, and she's hands up and everything's sort of tight and, mm. and in the shoulders, like really up, like she's trying to keep away from everything. Yeah, so like the design and the shape of the characters just fit it's well. It's so amazing. All of these characters, so great. I would say that I, I, I really like Anger and like Lewis Black just fits that. Uh, character perfectly and um i think i a while ago i did a uh like a, an interview with um uh veronica taylor who, who voices ash or voiced ash catching in pokemon and i asked her not about inside out but i asked her about uh teenage mutant ninja turtles because she also did the voice of april and i asked her her favorite turtle um and she said um michelangelo and then i said Raphael, and She's like, oh, that's interesting. Is that because uh, you as a reserved person like Raphael because he says the things that maybe you don't say but are going on your mind? 
And I keep in mind, I only met her for like half an hour during this interview, but she just managed to psychoanalyze me like just amazingly. <laughs> I was quite, I uh, felt quite vulnerable uh, in, that, in that moment. But uh, that is the reason why I like anger <laughs> because just because of the comedy of it, but also because I'm generally quite uh, reserved. But in my head, like, uh, I felt uh, felt <laughs> him on a lot of occasions. Like, yeah, that's why I feel like maybe I wanted to say, but uh, it doesn't come out that way for me. But uh, I quite like that character. So, um, but they were all great. They were all great characters. Just one moment I've just remembered that I absolutely love from anger is um, when they get the upgraded console. And he's like, oh, the curse words. Oh, curse words yeah. <laughs> yeah. So excited for them. <laughs> but fear presses the button and it gets, uh, oh, uh, bleeps it gets bleeped out. out. It's so smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, so I'll be interested to know what uh, listeners uh, think about how, if there is an emotion that you particularly identify with and uh, who you think is the antagonist of the story. Although I think we solved it as joy, but let us know. <laughs> uh, as always, you can give us your feedback um, to feedback at mymatter.com. And we're now going to go into our story tip for the day. And actually speaking of antagonist i'm going to speak about the forces of antagonism so earlier we discussed uh, the idea that inside out has a maybe a lack of an, an antagonist but as i was watching it and thinking about that it just led me to uh, think about antagonists in general uh, and how they fit into your story so i've spoken a lot about workshops uh, in this podcast and actually in a recent workshop session, I asked a group of primary school students about the protagonist-antagonist relationship. Uh, I was quite pleased that they managed to pick up on a on a key aspect of the of the protagonist not needing to be necessarily be good, uh, nor the antagonist necessarily be bad. So I thought it was worth reminding for people who are creating their own stories that any good story uh, comes out of conflict. So there's a conflict uh, at least one major conflict in the story. And that conflict uh, is fueled by the forces of antagonism. So we often think about antagonist as the individual in a story who has declared some kind of war on the protagonist and they go and fight. This isn't the case for Inside Out. There's no one necessarily declaring her war on Riley or, or Joy. And it actually doesn't need to be the case for your story. So there are some options in terms of how you show your forces of antagonism. So number one is the out and out villain. So this is what we think about the the classic bad guy, the character who's just bad and and fits the that classic good versus evil structure of a story. So although this series has had better villains over the um, over its run, or at least in my opinion. The Fire Lord Ozai in Avatar The Last Airbender is an example of that character who's just the villain, who's just bad for the sake of being bad. It's not necessarily explained in any great detail. He's just bad, and he's the person that needs to be taken down by the end. Uh, number two is a non-villain character, or at least someone who doesn't see themselves as the villain. It's one of my favorite approaches to antagonists because you can create good depth with a story that makes you think about the issues that surround that central conflict. Um, and like I say, it's also good for, for your villain to see themselves as actually the hero in their own story, at least in their mind. So these are characters who aren't necessarily seen as out and out villains, but are the main source of conflict 
for the protagonist in some way. Uh, so a good example I like to think of is in Black Panther, which has a villain who isn't necessarily the quote-unquote bad guy. And in fact, you might even take his side on the issue. So Killmonger isn't just in opposition to T'Challa. Uh, they actually have the same goal. It's just that Killmonger has a very different and very extreme approach to achieving that goal. And they both can't get what they want, which is the important thing to think about in your protagonist-antagonist relationship. Uh, number three is that inanimate force. So this is something that can come in the form of an organization or some kind of system where as a whole it's preventing your protagonist from achieving their goal. So this approach is a good way of providing some kind of uh, usually some kind of commentary on the organization or systems like like banking or tech or law enforcement like to show how it works and how it stops your protagonist from doing uh, what they need to do. So you see examples like the uh, the Capital and the Hunger Games or the IOI Industries in Ready Player One as that inanimate antagonist. Um, it can also be the environment. And whenever I think about the environ environment being the antagonist, my mind goes straight to The Revenant, which if you haven't seen, it's a hard, it's a hard watch, but it's an excellent case of the environment playing the role of the antagonist. Um, also, Leonardo DiCaprio fights a bear, just, you know, um, why would you want to see that? And number four is the protagonist themselves. So this is sometimes the best source of conflict uh, is the one that comes from yourself. So this is kind of what we see in Inside Out, where Joy's relentless need to reject sadness and solve every problem with happiness causes the problems that they see over the course of the film. And it's also quite a relatable approach because sometimes we are our own worst enemy. And at least if you don't think about yourself in that sense, I'm sure you've thought of someone else uh, in that sense, even though you can be your own worst enemy so to break it to you so uh yeah those are the four uh four things to think about when creating your forces of antagonism uh feel free to let us know how you've dealt with that in your stories um whether it's a comic manga game book or something else so you can send that to feedback at myamada.com so that's our story tip for this episode uh tazzy let's find out what our guest is up to So this is the bit where we get a little more details on our guests and what latest news or projects. Rena, I know you can't necessarily talk about next uh, projects <laughs> for yourself, but uh, do you want to let us know what's going on with you and where everyone can find you? Sure thing. Um, well, of course, I most recently been the art director uh, of the King Game Candy Crush Friends saga, but otherwise you can find me on Twitter at Rena McKeith. I'm pretty easy to find always and I will hopefully be able to share some interesting news in the new year. Um, exciting new project for me but you have to stay tuned to hear all about that. Excellent and um, so we will put uh, details in our show notes uh, so make sure you go and follow Rena and you know look forward to that exciting news in the new year. So we don't have any questions this episode. But if you do have any feedback or questions, you can email us or contact us on our social media. Uh, our email is feedback at mymada.com. 
And our social media is at MyMada on Twitter, at MyMadaTees on Instagram and at Tazzy on both. And that brings us to the end of another episode. So uh, thank you to Rina for joining us and giving us your uh, particular insight and all your thoughts and opinions, which you promised to do. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. I could talk about this all day. Cool. Uh, We'll definitely have you on again so you can give more thoughts um, because, uh, and I'm going to go back and look at that Last of Us Part 2 loading screen again so I can get the real, (laughs) the real meaning of that game. Um, Like moths to the flame. I know that now. So, um, so we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Story X Story. Uh, if you did, then please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes in the future. Uh, or you can also go back and listen to our past episodes. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our own stories from our universe of characters and uh, our anthropomorphic universe of characters and stories. We also have a new manga that I am uh, currently in the in the process of writing. Um, so I'm going through that that writing roller coaster as I mentioned. Um, but you can check out our current stories at mymatter.com forward slash manga. And we do have another GamePad online event coming next year where my mind already is uh, on January the 16th. We will be having fun with games on Twitch and speaking to people in the industry. So come and join it. It's free and you can also jump in our Discord uh, before then and on event day. Um, Also, can't remember if I mentioned this before. I'm pretty sure I did because it's in my notes, so I must have. But we are working on Christmas artwork. So if you have a ticket to Gamepad Online, um, you will get a piece of My Matter Christmas-themed artwork on Christmas Day. So make sure you get your ticket so you can get that artwork. Other than that, stay tuned because we'll have more episodes coming, including creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture like the one you just heard. Uh, Once again, our email address is feedback at myamada.com and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. Stay tuned. Until next time, stay safe and yeah, give sadness a chance because... You need it sometimes. We all need it sometimes. Uh, Take care, everyone.